Hello, happy Monday. It's Ed Gallo here for the Fight Site, and this podcast is actually a direct response to a Patreon question from Evan Lee. Going to be about the most impressive things we've seen fighters do, and if he just asked that with no explanation, it definitely would have been about you know things that happened in fights or or athletic contests that we were very impressed by, but instead he actually meant more of a. Uh, accomplishment-centric question. So I'm going to read the question to you, and it is, what are the most impressive things you've seen any fighter do? I mean for this question to be general, hence things. Here are some examples so you get my meaning. Harry Greb going 45-0 in one year. Samrak Kam Singh fighting a boxing match, then a Muay Thai fight against Chamu Kipe- I don't know how to say these names, and winning both in the same day. Dan Gable winning the 1972 Munich Olympics without a single point being scored on him. That I cannot verify, by the way. We don't know if that's true. Uh, Could be anything as specific as how great someone's jab is, or in general as someone's longevity in their career. Well, the jab point definitely gets missed in the broader paragraph, so nobody who answered this question focused on that. They did more of the career accomplishments. I think that's a fun topic. And uh, yeah, we, we have a few different Fight Site staff members who have contributed to this podcast, who are going to give their answers. I'm just going to splice them all together. It's not a you know discussion. It's not a podcast, really. It's just uh, some individual entries on this question. So I'm going to start, actually. I'm going to do the first one. I think we're going to have three wrestling, uh, wrestling entries. Uh, I believe I won't be the only one to talk about this, but the first I want to rep- suggest is uh, Jordan Burroughs. And before I get into it, with regard to wrestling accomplishments, I really don't think... I think there's a huge line that needs to be drawn between wrestling before the internet and wrestling after the internet. I think the level of skill and, and knowledge and, you know, athleticism even has gone up substantially since since that time where you have this technique all over the place, you know, training methods all over the place. Pe- wrestlers can talk to each other like they never could before. Coaches can talk to each other like they never could before linked up with athletic trainers just the the communication it's not even close and, and that really you know rises all ships in a sense so i think that's a huge difference and on top of that i think there's a huge difference between wrestling in you know before the 60s and afterward uh so there's two big shifts in wrestling and if you listen to the wrestling for mma podcast within our first like five episodes we did one on wrestling history and, and, and the differences so go back and listen to that one but one of the big points was about the material of the mats and like the equipment. And basically, before a certain point, the mats were like horsehair and they're very hard. And taking leg attacks, you actually like hit your knee on the ground. Very painful, very difficult. So wrestling was a lot different as, as a sport. You know, he just pursued it in a different way. Um, and if you watch those matches, you're like, oh my god, these guys are so bad on their feet. But you have to understand, it was it was painful to be good on your feet. So <laughs> that's the reason. Uh, so anyway, I think, you know, if we're talking about wrestling accomplishments, you know, I'm heavily going to favor the things that have happened in the past 20 to 25 years. I think those are much more significant than other eras. So, you know, you obviously have your, your greats, your all-timers, uh, you know, the people who are on crazy undefeated streaks and, and things of that nature. But you know me, if you've, you've heard any of my content before, you know that I think competition is more important than anything. Uh, your, your accomplishments should be 
considered in a context of who who were you wrestling? Who did you compete against? I don't care if you went undefeated if another guy had two losses, but his competition was extremely more difficult than yours. Um, it's hard to measure that, especially in wrestling where the skill levels aren't quite as, uh, you know, different <laughs> from weight to weight and year to year, but you can still tell. You can still tell, um, especially with just sheer accomplishments. So like someone in my weight, I, I have to wrestle five NCAA champions to make my, my world team. And then at Worlds, I have, you know, 10 different <laughs> Russians that I have to wrestle. Uh, that, that That's a pretty big deal. How is that possible, you ask, that I have to wrestle 10 different Russians? Because Russia is so deep that their guys can transfer and represent other countries. So there, well, I'll give you an example. At 2019 Worlds, the United States, across men's freestyle, women's freestyle, and Greco-Roman, their total medal count was equal to the medal count in men's freestyle for former Russians. <laughs> so just Russians wrestling for other countries in one in one style matched the United States medals um, total. So there, it's it's crazy. So you know, before the collapse of the Soviet Union, you had everyone under one banner, um, only one spot, you know, per all those people. So there's just it was way less competitive. So there's that also consider you know the, the, the rise of performance enhancing drugs over you know the I guess the 60s to today and and that's another big difference in the level of competition as well so I think it's a different world these days I think it's much more impressive so Jordan Burroughs getting back to it uh he was NCAA champion in 2010-2011 undefeated seasons uh, at least one Hodge trophy very very good in that respect and first appearance at the world championships in 2011 wins gold uh, 2012 wins the Olympics, 2013 wins gold, 2014 wins bronze because Dennis Sargouche was very good, 2015 wins gold, 2016, if you watch that, he had a crazy match with uh, Godoyev where there, there were a few mitigating factors, like uh, there, was, there were a lot of clashing of heads and both of their heads were bleeding and there was all these breaks in the action to keep wrapping their heads and Burroughs wasn't able to put a pace on him because of that and I think that definitely hurt him especially because he's kind of a pace guy, the way he sprints in the second period. Um, and then he uh, just kind of mentally collapsed after he lost that one and uh, did not wrestle well in his repechage match and did not place at 2016, which is pretty crazy. Came back strong. Gold again in 2017. Uh, bronze in 2018 because of the rise of uh, Zarbek Sidikov, who's pound for pound number two or three in the world at this point. Uh, same deal in 2019, but you know, at the same time, that's almost a decade <laughs> of making the world team first of all make he made every world and olympic team every year he never didn't make the team and that in itself is an insane accomplishment considering the guys he was fending off uh just to give you a lower tier example isaiah martinez uh two-time ncaa champion i believe um as a freshman and a sophomore and uh three-time NCAA champion I didn't do my research here but <laughs> just an absolute you know age group phenom uh coming through college and you know transitioned to freestyle very well very quickly and that's just like a in, in other sports that'd be like a once in a lifetime guy where like oh my god he's so good but in, in wrestling it's very normal and at that weight class uh 157 165 which became 74 kilograms in freestyle um, that's a very, very tough guy. And, and he's beat world rank competition before. He's been ranked in the world before. 
and Burroughs had to, you know, wrestle him to make the team, beat him to make the team. Uh, but, you know, in the meantime, he's got guys like Andrew Howe, another multiple-time NCAA champion. Another guy who is ranked in the world uh, has to be him to make the team. And then the big, the two big ones uh, are Kyle Dake and David Taylor, who are considered two of the greatest college wrestlers of all time. And they wrestle each other all the time as well. That's a whole other backstory. He's got to be a four-time NCAA champion, now a, a world champion as well, two-time world champion, uh, and another world champion, David Taylor, another two-time NCAA champion, uh, four-time final. It's just crazy, crazy level of competition um, that he has to fend off. And if he wants to make the Olympic team this year, has to beat Dake and Imar again. Um, just, just absurd. Just absurd. So to even make the team, he has to hold off world-level talent, you know, world championship-level talent. And then at the at the you know, the level of competition, it's probably the most stacked weight. 65 kilograms and 74 kilograms are definitely the most competitive weights, but there's not been any dominance like Burroughs over a decade at 65 like there's been at 74. Uh, by far, the athlete of the decade at 74 kilograms in freestyle. Um, you got have guys like Sargush, Sitikov, uh, Zabalov. Um, that's just to name some Russians. I mean, it's just a, a stupid, stupid stacked weight. Um, and he is beating these guys all the time. Frank Chimizo is another one who's a, another like generational talent that he beats on the regular. So Jordan Burroughs, decade of dominance, just being this guy. And especially with his style, um, his style is so physical. It's so athletically dependent. Um, to, to keep that up and make adjustments and to still be as good as he is now, um, especially in wrestling where a lot of the time guys have short primes, uh, it's just it's incredible uh, i can't even put it into words so i might not be the only one to talk about this because i'm recording it a little earlier but uh, it needs to be said that jordan burroughs is insane but actually just you know with regard to a, a smaller period of time because you know a lot of the time here we're talking about one competition uh, i like to talk about david taylor which is a guy that jordan burroughs has many wins over and i didn't even mention this they wrestled a few months ago David Taylor is up at 86 kilograms, which is obviously a huge jump from 74 kilograms uh, after winning the world title. And Burroughs came within one point of beating him at, at this weight disparity. They wrestled an exhibition match, and Burroughs almost got him. Like, he's just insane. He's one, one of the greatest athletes of all time. So uh, that that blows my mind every time I think about his accomplishments. But yeah, David Taylor. So Taylor, like I said, was a two-time NCAA champion, four-time finalist considered one of the greatest college wrestlers of all time because his losses were an upset pin to Bubba Jenkins and then uh, a loss to Kyle Dake in college uh, in the finals. So a much heavier two-time champion than than even some three-time champions, really. Um, and just his, his dominance in college was uh, unprecedented. A lot of pins, a lot of points on top. So that's kind of the theme here is that in freestyle, couldn't make the team. So he had Jordan Burroughs in his way, bumped up to 86 kilograms, still couldn't make the team. In fact, he lost to Kyle Dake again. They both bumped up to 86. He still couldn't beat Kyle Dake. Um, that was in 2015, and it took a couple of years, but by 2017, he had filled out the weight class. Uh, it was looking good at 86 kilograms, and <laughs> he was just messing people up. Like, I can't even describe how crazy it was. Uh, first of all, at the World Cup in 2017, he wrestled first at Dato Marsigashvili of Georgia, who was a two-time world and Olympic bronze medalist. 
And this is, you know, Taylor struggled at this weight. He comes out, beats him 8-3, very, very clear dominant win. Then he wrestles uh, a Uregan bronze medalist, very solid guy for Russia, Vladislav Valiev, another ranked guy uh, who was, you know, on an absolute tear at the time. And he teched him. <laughs> he teched him 14-4. to uh, Then he wrestled uh, Olympic bronze medalist and two-time world champion uh, and an Olympic champion, uh, Sharifov of Azerbaijan, teched him. So it's like, okay, not only is he beating these, you know, pound-for-pound level guys, he's putting them away. Uh, and then, in the finals of the World Cup, he wrestled Hassan Yazdani Shirati, who's also not one of the top five pound-for-pound wrestlers in the world, uh, Olympic champion, world champion, and he gassed him out, and he pinned him. He pinned Hassan Yazdani Shirati, so... That 2017 World Cup run was probably one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Uh, and then he just went on an absolute tear uh, following that. Just uh, outscored his opponents 45-4 to at the U.S. Open with four techs and one pin. Uh, and then lost to Jaden Cox. He lost to Jaden Cox at the, at the wrestle-offs, uh, two matches to one. So he's that dominant, and we still have guys in the U.S. that can beat him. So that's another shout-out to Jaden Cox. Um, so that just goes to show you what the level of, of competition is here. Um, didn't make the 2017 world team because of that. And then he went to the, uh, the 2018 world cup and he pinned and tacked all those guys. <laughs> and then he uh, went out and won the world championship by beating up Hassan Yazdani Shirati in the first round. Then you know, cruised. Oh, I didn't even mention in his semifinal match, he wrestled Karugliev of Russia, who's another top ranked guy. Got knocked out in that match. Uh, Karugliev spun out of a single leg and kicked him in the chin, and you put put him out. And uh, Taylor had to take you know concussion protocol time. Came back, beat him, and then beat uh, Erdine in the finals and won worlds. So he had a really bad knee injury after that, and he was out from some time. But he's back now, and yeah, he's looking to make the Olympic team and and win an Olympic title. So just uh, David Taylor's coming out party eighty six kilograms, where he just destroyed that field of really good guys and pinned an Olympic champion. That was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. And if you really want to get into how many guys he pinned and how crazy that was, uh, look up, uh, you know, I think it's called Behind the Magic Man, but it's on the fight site by uh, Seth Patera about David Taylor and his career. Just go to the part about 2017, 2018, and look at all the world-ranked guys, like world and Olympic medalists that he pins in that time period. It's more than I said because I didn't want to take up too much time, but he pinned and teched a ridiculous amount of, like, pound-for-pound level guys uh, at that point, so that's insane. I think it's a mixture of him being that good and also his style being kind of of a smaller guy and the fact that he's able to do it at 86 kilograms. They just cannot match his pace and the gas, and he puts him away, and I I don't think they're comfortable scrambling like he scrambles, so those are mine. Um, In MMA, I I would say, you know, Max Holloway, the, the, the cardio beatdowns he puts on people are some of the most impressive things I've ever seen. Um, the things I've seen people fight through when they're rocked or hurt or, you know, when a fight gets really tough, like all, all my all-time great fights are like that. Um, like uh, Mendez versus Aldo or, you know, Poirier Holloway or uh, Whitaker Romero, th- those types of fights. Um, that That's always insanely impressive to me. Um, Aldo is extremely impressive to me in general, not only because of the things he was doing during his prime, but how he's managed to still be elite and go up with these top-ranked guys, you know, way past his prime uh, is also insane to me. So 
yeah, I think there isn't any other MMA in this conversation, so I wanted to throw that in there, but you know, that, that stuff just blows me away. So there you go. Oh, yeah, George St. Pierre being able to fight across multiple generations is nuts, and managing to take a still force a close fight against just Styles to Kryptonite, you know, basically post-prime against Johnny Hendricks, uh, despite that I think that he lost that fight, just the performance he's able to put up and the durability and the grit he showed, that, that blew me away. Um, so those are my entries. Uh, we're about to hear the rest of our entries, and they are very good. They are shorter than mine, as <laughs> I wanted to take up the most time as like an intro. Uh, but yeah, we're going to have a bunch of cool people weighing in on boxing and wrestling, and I think maybe just boxing and wrestling. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's it. Um, if you want your question to be answered in this format, $10 on Patreon. We'll answer your questions. And we'll put a lot of thought into it. It might not be its own standalone podcast, but we'll definitely take our time and give it the answer it deserves. So uh, without further further ado, here are the rest of our, our panelists. Hello, I'm Carl McLaughlin from The Fight Site, uh, known for my writing on boxing history, which is why for my choice of the most insane achievement in uh, that I've ever seen in combat sports, I am going to go with boxing, uh, despite being... A big fan of MMA and, and Muay Thai and kickboxing. Uh, I am going to go for, for boxing. So the patron question mentioned things such as Harry Greb's amazing run. Uh, and of course, you know, Henry Armstrong famously had uh, three titles, etc. Et so I'm not going to go for one which our esteemed patron already knows. I'm going to go for uh, Terry McGovern's insane undefeated run, uh, which ended with his uh, first loss to young Corbett second. Uh, but in that run, he was the best fighter from essentially 118 pounds to lightweight, uh, ran through the very best the division had to offer uh, in the space of around 18 months, uh, winning the featherweight title, which then was the was around 116 to 118 pounds, what we would call bantamweight today, uh, and then taking that title lineage up in weight with him, defending it at uh, 126, etc., uh, and eventually uh, scoring what would have been, uh, which was essentially a win over the best lightweight in the world inside the first round. So if you want to read more on that, then uh, look at my piece on Terry McGovern for the greatest band of weights of all time, which you can read on the fight site. And yeah, I mean, that whole run was absolutely insane. And of course, if you want to learn more about it, then read that uh, piece on McGovern and feel free to hit me up as well uh, in all the usual channels. And if you can't find me because I'm so-so uh, on Twitter nowadays, then, then by all means, uh, don't because I won't be there. But there's some other ones as well. I might as well mention some more while I'm here. Uh, Bob Fitzsimmons uh, being the first champion of middleweight, light heavyweight and heavyweight. Whilst being a natural super middleweight, highly impressive. Yes, of course, Harry Greb's forty-five and zero run in in a calendar year or whatnot. Uh, some in, having like a broken arm for some of those fights is is insane. But you're already aware of that one. Uh, I'm trying to think of a randomly obscure one. Okay, I'll think of a randomly obscure one. See if you like this one. Jimmy Wild, natural strawweight, if not lighter, one hundred and five pounds, but often weighed in around. Uh, 102, 103 pounds beating by stoppage the British featherweight champion Joe Conn at Stamford Bridge 
unbelievable. Uh, search Jimmy Wilde, Joe Con, Google Images and have a look at those photos and see a very tiny man taking on a much larger man and how many times he was dropped. There is no footage of that fight. I have seen footage of a playful exhibition from around a year later uh, from, at the same venue, same fighters, uh, just a mess around, which it, even then the, the, the weight disparity is insane to see. But yeah, uh, well, flyweight champion Jimmy Wilde taking on the British featherweight champion Joe Con and giving up that amount of weight and winning by stoppage, no less. That one isn't one to make you think, then uh, I don't know what is. So, uh, yeah, Terry McGovern, Jimmy Wilde, Harry Greb, Sugar Ray Robinson, all pretty amazing names that you know most of us have already heard of. And this is why, because they, they achieved some amazing things. And uh, Henry Armstrong, obviously. Uh, as I said earlier, so these these are all all great fighters, and and they are great because they did such amazing things. But um, a few that are the two which I mentioned, which are a little lesser known, Terry McGovern's amazing undefeated streak through the weight classes, and Jimmy Wilde's amazing win over Joe Con. Next up is one of our favorite, most high-profile staff members, a former Bellator world champion, a UFC contender, and now Brave. Uh, fighting championship contender, Zach Makovsky. I guess I would say what I find most impressive, I think in sports in general, is probably just consistency over time. Being at uh, an elite level over huge stretches of time, uh, I think is what I find most impressive. You know, people like like Floyd Mayweather, you know, dominating his whole career, finishing in an undefeated, in MMA, people's people like um, George St. Pierre and Jose Aldo and Demetrius Johnson and their, you know, long dominant title runs. Um, Marcelo Garcia in jiu-jitsu, who basically dominated jiu-jitsu for a decade, you know, won four out of five ADCC titles, uh, and during that time also won five black belt world championships in the gi. Um, and along those lines, I would say I think the most impressive thing I I would say I've seen is Kale Sanderson's undefeated amazing collegiate run um, aside from him you know being an amazing coach now maybe on track to be the best college wrestling coach in history and winning an Olympic gold medal um, before that his college career was just something uh, really blew my mind like um you know, to never have a bad day, to never be injured and um, and just not wrestle to what you're capable of against other guys who are, you know, the best in the country. Um, you know, it's very easy to lose to someone who you're better than or you would beat more times, more often than not. So for him to never have that is just incredible. And I mean, um, I believe he he was 159-0. and 0. I believe his senior season, he um, didn't have an offensive point scored against him. I think only two or three matches uh, went to regular decision where he didn't get bonus points for his team. And I think two of those were against John Trench, the guy who finished second um, to him in the in the finals his senior year. I, I actually was at the uh, 2002 NCAA uh, Division One National Championships in Albany. Uh, to witness Kale's uh, performance through that last tournament and him winning his fourth national title and finishing his career undefeated. It was incredible. He was a huge uh, 
a huge uh, uh, hero of mine wrestling in college. Um, yeah, super impressed. And, you know, I mean, like, talk about dominance. He, he uh, I think he won the Outstanding Wrestler Award at the NCAA tournament all four years. And the Hodge Trophy, trophy, which is like, you know, the Heisman Trophy for football, he won three of his four years. Um, so it wasn't just that he was undefeated. It was also the way he did it, you know, um, kind of just made it look effortless. Like he, he wasn't struggling or exerting himself much. He was just like so much, so much above everyone else and just you know, force them to wrestle in a thing that, in a way that no one else could wrestle with. And he did it near effortlessly. And it was just, just unbelievable to watch. And, uh, you know, 159-0, incredible. What's up, guys? I'm Taylor Higgins, the Fight Sites boxing analyst. And this is the most impressive thing I've seen a fighter do. So immediately when I was asked this question, the first thing that came to mind for me was Vasily Lomachenko's calendar year in 2011. So for me, it ranks as the most impressive year in amateur boxing history, mainly because Lomachenko beat an absolute shark tank of fighters at a new weight. So he moved up to lightweight in 2010, but didn't really fight anyone. It was a bit of a dead year for him. But he won the world championships in 2011 at this new weight class and beat some of the best fighters in the world along the way. Guys who would go on to become future Olympic gold medalists, world champions, etc. So, starting out, Lomachenko beat Lomelito Moala of Tonga in a bit of a dead rubber, uh, not particularly relevant in the first round. But in the second round of the world championships, he beat Jose Ramirez of America, then the national champion, and now a world champion at 140. Uh, so, Ramirez has got a unification coming up against Josh Taylor. In the next round, he beat Robson Concechao of Brazil, a very close fight. Uh, Lomachenko edged it in 1918. And Concechao will go on to become the lightweight gold medalist at Rio 2016. So Concechao is one of those guys who's a bit hot and cold, but when he's on, he's a really good fighter. And he certainly was at this tournament and proved to be one of Lomachenko's toughest opponents in his amateur career. Next up in the quarterfinals, Lomachenko fought Fazlidin Gabe Nazarov of Uzbekistan. He beat him 16-10. And Gabe Nazarov would go on to become an Olympic gold medalist himself at light welterweight uh, in Rio 2016. So that was another big win under his belt for that year. In the semi-finals, Vasily Lomachenko beat Domenico Valentino, then the reigning world champion at lightweight. So Valentino took uh, lightweight gold in 2009 at the World Championships. Uh, he beat him in a dominant performance, 17-11. And in the final, he beat Cuban champion Yasnil Toledo, one of the most underrated Cubans this decade, uh, and dropped him in the first round. Uh, beautiful shot as well. So he beat an absolute gauntlet, a who's who of future stars at lightweight, and it's such a strong run. Um, Considering there were some really talented guys, Lomachenko pretty much beat everyone who was anyone, really, at the weight. He also beat Denis Berinchik, uh, who would go on to become the light welterweight silver medalist at London 2012, the Olympic Games, uh, the following year. So he beat him at light welterweight, fought there uh, very briefly uh, in a domestic tournament in the Ukraine. And what makes this so special is that as I mentioned, it's a new weight, um, and even though he wasn't as dominant as he had been previously at, at featherweight in the World Championships and Olympics, 
Uh, it's just the caliber of opponents that Lomachenko faced. And you're just not realistically going to be able to replicate that in a tournament. Um, all these guys who would go on to have really successful careers, be it either in the pros or the amateurs, um, you just don't usually ever see guys who are that decorated, um, you know, a lineup like that. Um, and it's something that I don't think will be replicated, if ever, in a really long time. Uh, it's a really special year, and Lomachenko's obviously one of the greatest amateurs of all times, but this is part of his legend, um, beating a, a real murderer's row of, of top lightweights at the World Championships. As we know, he would go on to win Olympic gold the following year, but for me, 2011 is what's really special about Lomachenko. I mean, that run, I'm looking at it now, and it's just scarcely believable, the, the, the kind of guys he beat. Um, super special, and it's something for me that hasn't been replicated in amateur boxing history. Thanks for listening, and I hope you are well. Remember to wear your mask. Bye. Hey, Ed, it's Baba, so yeah. Why not uh, try to participate in your project? So let me let me try it. The most impressive thing uh, I saw a fighter do, like the most impressed I was, is at Sunshine's career. It's crazy, you know. It's most people are not ready to call him the the, the, the greatest of all times because Muay Thai has had a lot of great fighters, but Sunshine's body of work. Its longevity is incredible, you know. He's been fighting for four decades. Started in, he started his career in late 80s, still fighting today. People, uh, people will say that uh, he's, be, he's been fighting easy opposition since uh, roughly, roughly 10 years. But they forgot to say that Sencha is, is, is 40 now, he's 41. And he's been fighting, like I said, for four decades. So, of course, he's going to be fighting easier opposition now. But still, he's fighting people that are, that are half his age. And he's still able to, to beat them comprehensively. So, it's incredible to me, you know. It's incredible. He's fighting people that are in their physical prime. And there are no match. There are absolutely no match for him. It's something that's never be seen in any type of combat sport, you know. Be it kickboxing, boxing, MMA, Muay Thai, it's the only guy, you know. Nobody did that. He was still fighting elite competition like five years ago, you know. Elite European competition, elite, um, you know, Occidental competition. And before that, he was fighting top ties. He was fighting... Pech Morakot in 2014, he was, he was fighting Singham Kapnukau, Nongo, and then he fought elite competition like Fabio Pinker again, Boris Onarov, Charlie Peters, Aziz Lali, Chad Collins, and that could go on for like an hour. So yeah, I just want to say this, that this is the most, the most impressed I have ever been by a fighter, and I really don't think no fighter will be able to do that. This is the, the, the only one, you know. This is the, the, the Broly of Dragon Ball Z. There is one and only Senshai, and nobody will be able to, to top this. And this is very, very impressive. People really need to, to know that. Next up is the head of the wrestling department at the fight site, 
international freestyle expert, Seth Patera. Um, for the most impressive accomplishment in combat sports, I pick three of them. So the first one I pick is Tugrilas Garros 2012 60 kilogram Olympic gold medal run. And why that's important is Tugrilas was 19 years old at the time when he won the Olympics. And he was coming, well, this was his second World Olympic final. His first one was in 2010 at 17 years old when he was a runner-up to Viktor Lebedev who would become a two-time world champion by winning his second world title in 2011 over Radoslav Velikov. And then in 2011, he beats four-time NCAA champion Logan Stieber in the junior world finals. Going into 2012, you know, everybody knew Tegrill was very strong, um, one of the best technical wrestlers there is. But um, the real question would be how could he contend with someone who a lot of people placed as the consensus pound-for-pound number one guy, four-time world champion, Basit Kudikov. And Tegrill showed that that wasn't going to be an issue at all, beating him 6-0 across two periods. And really, you know, after the Olympics, there was a lot of talk, and justifiably so, of is Tegrill's Garoff going to be the next big dominant force in wrestling. Granted, he's has injury issues. He's moved up and around in weight, but he came back later in 2015, was a top five guy at the world championships, uh, was beating Frank Chimizo multiple times, and really, you know, pushed a lot of great guys. And, you know, at points in time, really was arguably the number one guy in the world. And he proved it in 2012 against one of the best to ever do it. And really, in, at a young, young age, so that's very impressive to me. Um, the other one that I'd pick would be Jordan Burroughs' 2011 World Championships run. The reason why that's important was prior to that, you know, there hadn't really been a world champion at 74 that wasn't Russian whether it be Bufus or Saitiev, who won the majority of them uh, throughout the earlier half of the 2000s, or Makach Murtazliev, who won it in 2007, where he beat Saitiev, it was well known that if you were going to go pick somebody, pick the Russian. And Nowhere else was there that a better pick than at 74 kilograms in 2011 when you had a returning two-time world champion who hadn't lost since 2008 Russian Nationals, the former Denis Sargush. And yeah, Jordan Burroughs was really somebody everybody kept their eye on. You know, he was having good matches against high-level guys, but, you know... You can't really say, oh, well, they placed at Euros. Well, they didn't win Worlds. They haven't lost in two years. And so right out of the gate, Burroughs is wrestling with Sargush, really giving everything he's got, and it was pretty wild. And they would go on to have a pretty strong series going into 2012. But in 2011, Jordan, in his first World Championships, is able to take out the reigning two-time World Champion, Dennis Sargush, in the finals, he beats the returning world runner-up, Sadeh Darzi, who's well-known 
for his ability to slow down matches and his stingy defense. And Burroughs is able to adapt and adjust to that and break through and do what he needs to do to win his first of uh, five world and Olympic titles. So I think that's really the start of a legacy there in 2011. Um, I'd say the final one that I'd pick would be Kyle Snyder's first world title in 2015. More so the finals match against Abdusalam Gadisov, who had been uh, the boogeyman of Russia, really, at 97 kilograms. He's the returning world champion. He had beaten Kajara Gatslov in 2012, who was an all-time great as well. And he looked to be really one of the dominant forces at the weight. And Snyder had great age group level results. He was coming off an NCAA runner-up finish. Beat Jake Varner at trials. And all eyes were on him. And he showed up big time. And he beat Gadisov 5-5 on criteria. So I think that's some of the most impressive uh, combat sports accomplishments to me. All right, last but not least is another one of our boxing and MMA analysts. Uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but uh, Lukash Fenrich, who is a very, very smart man. Some might call him a genius. It's a reference to his Twitter handle. I don't know if anyone got that. It used to be Polsky Genius. Never mind. Forget about it. Forget about it. So he's going to go last, and the podcast is going to end. I hope you enjoyed these. And now that I'm recording this, we got another Jordan Burroughs shout-out, so I'm happy about that. And, yeah. Hopefully this was informative and interesting to listen to when you got to hear a lot of different staff members that you don't normally get to hear from. So I'm going to let Lukash finish it out, and then, uh, yeah, we can send us your questions. We'll, we love, like doing this. We like talking about combat sports, so keep, uh, keep the requests coming. All right, thank you, guys. Right, so most impressive thing I've seen so far to do, I've got three ideas. Split down a perfect performance. One which is a moment with some background. We'll come to that, obviously. And one is a whole career, which is the, my third pick is going to be definitely my most obscure. So let's start with <laughs> I'm going with the performance. Um, anyone who's seen me ramble about boxing for any amount of time has probably heard me talk about this before is Roy Jones' win over James Tony. I think we need <laughs> you need to know the context because James Tony is now sort of thought of as almost a joke. Big, you know, it used to be good, turned big fat round guy, kept fighting for far too long. But back in the day when he fought Roy Jones in nineteen ninety four, he was he was the man. He was almost the 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 super middleweight Mike Tyson. He was a he was dangerous and one of the most skilled, also one of the most skilled fighters in his era. He would have stood up in any era whatsoever. And Roy Jones just got in the room with him and just made him look like a complete fool. It was like, it, was, it would be like getting, getting in the ring with modern day with Alexander Usyk or with uh, with Vasily um, Lomachenko and just making him look like he didn't belong in the room with you. It was, it was embarrassing. There's a moment in one of the early rounds where Jones just makes him fall. It's one of the silliest knockdowns you've ever seen. He makes Tony imitate his showboating and then just knocks him over with the stupidest shot you've ever seen. And it just sums up the whole fight. Tony could not land a glove. One of the most skilled 
dangerous, respected, feared fighters of really any era, and he just couldn't get close to Roy Jones. It's pure class. The second, the, the the moment, which is backed up by what came behind it, really, but um, Tyson Fury getting up in the first fight against Deontay Wilder. Like, this isn't a long ago. People will remember this. Um, you know, the, the big story... Uh, Tyson Fury beat uh, beat Klitschko to win the heavyweight title, and then he went completely off the rails. Put on three hundred pounds, got very depressed, and then he lost lost a hundred pounds. Sorry, he put on he put on a hundred pounds, and then he lost it again. He ballooned up to to, to two fifty, then came back to three three fifty, and then came back down to two fifty, and then he's come back. He's taken on the most dangerous possible fight. He could find to to get himself back in the in the title picture, and he's 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 been knocked down once already, but he's winning the fight, going into the final round, and you know we've all seen it. Tyson Fury gets knocked out, and everyone you know Wilder's won. Wilder's done what he does. He's knocked out Tyson Fury, except then he stands up, and you know <laughs> I think I've talked about this uh, some friends of mine in when people are talking about things that happened in this era of boxing in 50 years' time, they'll, you know, well, the hardcores will remember Lomachenko and they'll remember Pacquiao and they'll remember, you know, people will remember Mayweather because he's such an annoying big name. But the, if there's one moment that people will bring up again and again in the future, it's going to be Tyson Fury standing up, standing up after being knocked out and then going on to win the rest of the round and, win, and uh, well... It came officially as a draw, but everyone watching knew that Tyson Fury won the fight, and then they did the rematch, and he beat it, boxed his head off. So that, that's my second one. And the third one is a little bit more obscure, but I've got to mention it. There's a um, an English boxer current currently fighting. He's a British level fighter. Might, seems unremarkable. Um, he's he's fought for the British and European titles. He hasn't won it yet. With, um, if I recall correctly, he could have he, he had a shout to have what to have beaten uh, Jack Catterall the first time he lost um, for the British title. Anyway, his name's Joe Hughes, and what's so impressive about him is that he has he fights with Herb's palsy. Um, his right arm basically doesn't work properly. He was born born with a dislocated shoulder. His right arm, which meant his his nerves are damaged. His right arm never developed properly, and and he fights. Basically entirely with his left hand, he keeps his right hand stationed at his head to block shots, and that's more or less all he does with it. He fights almost entirely with his left, and he's become a British, a good British level boxer. And it's just, you know, that kind of a that kind of a overcoming that kind of um, drawback is just seriously, seriously impressive. You know, can't knock it. So those are my three. Um, 